Today's episode is sponsored by Annunciation Designs. Okay, so I am always on the lookout for beautiful and creative ways to share the faith, and I absolutely adore, adore the designs from Elaine and her company, Annunciation Designs. Elaine told me her mission is to help families call to mind the sacred in the midst of the ordinary. Some of their most beloved products include the Catholic baby swaddles and hashtag Saint Goals teas for the whole family, which is just so fun, right? <laughs> I love that. Use coupon code MANNERS for 10% off of your order. This offer expires October 31st. For more information, you can visit www.annunciationdesigns.com. While you're there, you can also be on the lookout for the monthly subscription letter called Wonder Lust Catholic. Subscribers receive a beautifully illustrated hand-lettered story each month written from the perspective of the fictional pilgrim Bona Therese. Thank you so, so much again to Annunciation Designs for sponsoring this show. And by the way, congrats to Elaine. She just had a little baby. So we're so excited, (laughs) so excited to honor and feature your work for this episode. All right, King, here's the show. Okay, tell me about it. <laughs> First off, can you just say your name? Can you say I'm Sean Garrison? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sean Garrison, and I'm excited to be talking with the fabulous Jules Miles yeah. on this podcast <laughs> to discuss how the Lord is bring, making his kingdom come about in our midst. This listeners is an old friend of mine and my husband's, Sean Garrison. You all have actually listened to Sean's music before, perhaps without even knowing it. (laughs) Besides his work directing and organizing the Fellowship of Catholic University Students Music Program for retreats and conferences over the years, and his work writing and producing songs for the Focus Origin album. If you've listened to this show before, then you've heard Sean's music every single episode. That's right, that catchy instrumental (laughs) is from the song Exceeding off of Sean's album of the same name, released in 2014. As I mentioned, Sean is an old friend. He knew my husband when he was a focus missionary and even did the music for our wedding and has a long history of using music as a means and gateway to introducing people to the deep love and mercy of God. Sean fell in love with the Lord as a young person growing up in Florida. Around the same time, he started playing guitar. He discerned a call into seminary, but after eventually discerning out of the priesthood, he made his way to Denver. He has worked in youth ministry, was a focus missionary, and then led worship for focus for many years, and was in charge of their music ministry. And then recently, Sean decided the Lord was calling him again in a different direction. How do I steward my gifts as somebody in their 40s with five children with a, a wife who works part-time and you know what is God asking me of me at this at this point and so I'm in a place where I've launched a brand new missionary nonprofit traveling to parishes speaking storytelling so doing weekend retreats nightly parish missions uh, and the Lord's also stirred my heart to be able to capture 
and edit videos to do storytelling through video, uh, including a lot of a lot of natural beauty and letting beauty stir the human heart. This new ministry of Sean's, by the way, is called Windswept. I will have a link to Sean's website in my show notes and episode description. So I thought because of how much Sean and his music have meant to my family over these past years, I thought I would let Sean and his story serve as the arc for our episode today. Our final, oh my goodness, closing episode for this season on beauty. And I couldn't think of a better way to end our season than, in a sense, to end where it began. With the power of beauty to stir the heart, even in ways we perhaps can't even articulate. Yeah, music is so powerful. I started getting into music unexpectedly as a 15-year-old, just playing guitar, not formally trained. And fast forward, and the Lord has somehow used, like he's called me to be able to serve through music. And so it's been really fascinating to be able to study music, not in the formal sense, but to study what music does and how it affects people. And and for me as a songwriter, Jules, it's been really interesting to see like sometimes these songs, you, you're the one holding the pen and you write these words down, but you're kind of like, where did that come from? Like that's, (laughs) this thought is beyond me. Like the the Holy Spirit is moving, you know, stirring like through, through in this mysterious way where it's, and a priest once told me, he was praying over me and said, Sean, I get the sense that the Lord wants to work in you. And I think it was even this theme of healing like through the songs that you've written, which is a paradox. Like, huh. you know, we think like that, like, oh, like the authorship of this is mine. Like it belongs to me. But in a sense, it's, it's so much beyond us. And to see like, yes, I've written this, but I actually don't claim to understand the fullness of, of what this means, you know? And, and really, like none of us understand the fullness of any facet of, of the truth. It's always, you know, deepening. is the story of when music heals. I prayed a lot about how to close this season on beauty. I realized I was praying and thinking a lot with sound in the background. (laughs) For years and perhaps my whole life, the audio realm, typically through music, has helped me to clear my mind, focus my thoughts, and even stir my emotions in prayer. Music has done something else for me too, though. In the midst of my trials, my sufferings, life's ebbs and flows of darkness and light, music has had the unique ability to help me heal. And I realized that if that is how it happened for me, then I probably am not the only one, right? In other words, has music had this same impact on others, the same healing power? that's what we're going to talk about today as we close our season on beauty. We're going to talk about how music can heal us using Sean as our guide. So listeners, I'm calling this section part one, when music heals the culture. 
Peter Kreef says this over and over, that beauty has a way of going past the watchman of the mind. That watchman that shuts things out is like, if it starts to get like too preachy or judgmental or like, you know, the, the watchman of the mind will shut things out. But when we, when we see a beautiful painting, when we are moved by, uh, by dance or, you know, any of the arts really, but I think in particular way music, even instrumental music, like you're saying, it doesn't have to have an overt Christian overtone to it. Like there's something about beauty that, that stirs the human heart in ways that, like you're saying, we don't even, we can't articulate. We, we're not aware of, of why or what's happening, but, but music does move us in that way for good or for ill. Like music can, my, um, my teenage years were very uh, volatile and partly because of the Seattle grunge scene that I was uh, immersed in and uh, just how, how dark grunge punk. I mean, there's, there are a lot, there's something about, like you said, like, like music can, can elicit a response in our bodies without us having to process meaning or, or anything like if, if I listen to rage against the machine long enough, uh, I'm not going to be in a peaceful place. I'm just, it's just, a, so, so I think that there's a lot to, to be said about that. And I, th- I'm just enamored by the sense of, of culture being such a rich, you know, manifold dynamic of, of meaning and of, of humanity and what all that means. There's something about music, even if it's not overtly Christian, it does good. <laughs> it is accomplishing something good. And uh, a book that I read by John Saward is called The Beauty of Holiness and the Holiness of Beauty. And the author goes in and is talking about how music can carry this power, even if it's in, in an, a very imperfect, sinful person. Whether the author or composer knows what's going on or, or intends that, that can come through in that person's music, and that can actually, through the music, bring a sort of enlightenment and healing, uh, perhaps, to the composer without his, his or her assent to it. When I decided to do this episode, it corresponded perfectly with something happening in my own life or really in my family's life. You see, for a long time, most of our family's music choices, mainly in the car, were basically whatever happened to be on K-Love, right? And that's not a bad thing, but if I'm being really honest, I was just starting to long for more. I started to get the feeling that there was really good music being made outside of the Christian music world, and I wanted... I wanted to expose my kids to it. And frankly, to the idea that Christian music, or what we know today as Christian music, wasn't the only way for them to have an encounter with God. So after looking at our finances and whatnot, my husband and I decided to support an organization whose entire mission was doing exactly what my husband and I had so longed for. Encouraging people in the broader culture to encounter good music. And that organization, Love Good Culture. And it was started by this guy. Jimmy Mitchell. And the title, at least as far as Love Good is concerned, is Chief Curator. So I run Love Good started a few years ago, but that's sort of our fancy way of saying I'm the boss. (laughs) Jimmy is from Nashville, Tennessee, where he lives today. And he began his amazing organization, Love Good Culture. And it was this organization that led me to reach out to Jimmy. As I mentioned already, we've spoken a lot this season about the gift of beauty, but we haven't spent a lot of time on the specific gifts beauty provides. 
And for me, there is perhaps no gift greater than healing, particularly through music. And Jimmy, it turns out, had a similar revelation at the origins of Love Good Culture. So Love Good, in some ways, started for me over 10 years ago when I was, for the very first time in my life, studying philosophy, trying to make sense of the world. This was actually as a, as a seminarian for the Diocese of Nashville, Tennessee. And I'll, I'll never forget the moment where it suddenly struck me that long before I even had language around faith, I had a profound sense of God, specifically through beauty. Now, Jimmy experienced many key encounters with beauty in his life. Right out of college, for example, Jimmy discerned a call to the priesthood and then discerned out because he couldn't shake the idea that he was supposed to engage with the culture in a different way. And in particular, he couldn't shake the idea that beauty and the way it could lead us to God might be important in his mission. So after discerning more about what this would look like, how Jimmy could share his love of beauty and music with the world, love, good culture slowly began to come alive. It was a solid five years later that Love Good started with a very simple intuition, a very similar intuition, which was that uh, beauty actually can captivate every human heart, regardless of their faith, regardless of uh, their politics, that in fact, beauty was the great transcendental that knew no enemy. And so we took that vision on a 45-city house concert tour in the summer of 2013. And we went as far west as LA, as far north as Boston, as far south as Tampa, Florida. And by the end of that summer, we had cast a vision for patronage. We had uh, really begun introducing many of my artist friends uh, to people uh, in their own living rooms and backyards, uh, only to you know, several years later, you know, fast forward to about 2017, uh, we turned Love Good into its own company, its own organization, its its own uh, very real mission, which is to um, to transform culture by way of beauty, to rally around artists, and to keep casting this vision of patronage and and helping people realize that their media consumption um, is their vote for the future of our culture. Oh, I love that line. (laughs) I love that line. I'm going to repeat it. I wanted people to realize that their media consumption is their vote for the future of our culture. Now, Jimmy was very clear with me about something. Love Good Culture is not an explicitly Catholic organization. And that, as it turns out, was very intentional on Jimmy's part. We're not in any way an explicitly Catholic company. That is kind of what makes us fairly unique in the sense that we're deeply imbued by, we'll call it a Catholic anthropology, but our intent is to very much engage and transform secular culture, which really informs the kind of media that we rally around. And this idea, this idea that beauty can transform and redeem stems from the very heart of Christian theology, the incarnation. And in some ways, it kind of goes back to the incarnation. And what I mean by that is, you know, the very fact that God took on human flesh it actually changes everything, right? If, if we believe that God not only created, uh, but then entered into his creation and ultimately redeemed creation, he, he's now invited us uh, to co-create 
and even in a very mysterious way, help him in his redemption. And yes, that happens in a very personal way uh, in, in any work that we might do on behalf of souls. It happens in a very institutional and sacramental way in the life of the church, but it also has to happen on the level of culture. And we're not even here to say that music is the only way or even the best way. Uh, I think we can all agree, though, that music is a really powerful way to engage and redeem culture at large. If we have a Catholic imagination, a Catholic sensibility, then we have a desire to penetrate the darkest corners of our culture, to unveil the mystery of grace to a very secularized world. And Love Good Culture's ultimate mission isn't exactly about edifying. It's about empowering, empowering the faithful to be a bridge between themselves and the culture at large. But sometimes Love Good's mission isn't simply about this broader purpose. Jimmy understands that in order to change the culture, you have to start with just one person. One person making a subtle change, a change which God willing has a domino effect on the broader landscape. And Lovegood believes this subtle change can come with the simple interaction with good music. Not pure music, you know, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> it actually reminds me of this quote by our beloved patron, Flannery O'Connor. And I may have quoted it before, but I'll quote it again. Flannery once said, and I am paraphrasing here, you don't have to be a saint in order to be a Catholic novelist. You don't even have to be a Catholic. You do, however, have to be a novelist. <laughs> and her point, of course, is that when the art suffers, nobody wins. Our hearts aren't moved to God at all. In fact, sometimes it can be quite the opposite. Listen to this story that Jimmy told me about the impact Lovegood has had on one family. A Catholic mom up in Carmel, Indiana that we met just back in December. She's probably been a Lovegood patron now for just under a year. But one day she was driving her kid around town running errands. Probably he had been four years old at the time. And he's, you know, in the back seat of the car uh, singing the song or singing the lyrics of some country song that was all about um, being drunk and all about getting the girl and, you know, all the kind of typical bro country that we've all come to hate and love, you know? And, uh, when she realized that her four-year-old son was not only humming along, but singing along to that song, she, she realized she had to, to change something about how they were consuming media as a family. So she quickly reverted to Christian music. Well, now fast forward six years later, the kid is now 10 years old. Um, and uh, about a year ago, basically said, mom, is there any way we can just listen to something other than Jesus music? Right. And I think as a family, they had, they had shifted, you know, from mainstream to Christian music almost exclusively. Uh, and it left the 10 year old wanting. And actually I think it leaves a lot of us wanting if all we're intaking is pop music with, with scripture interwoven, which is what a lot of you know mainstream Christian radio ends up being. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what was really cool is is her instinct in that moment was, wow, I've got to, I've got to actually now do the work of 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 consuming intentionally uh, the music that our family listens to in the car or, or curating in advance before we consume. And, and basically right around that exact same moment, she discovered love good. She started listening to our podcast. She became a patron and she stood up in front of like 25 of her best friends, 
back in December and was in tears as she described the difference that this has made in her her family life and her family culture, knowing that um, there's actually now like an entire movement of people out there like her who don't want anything coming in the doors that isn't true and good and beautiful. And it doesn't have to be, quote unquote, Jesus music to satisfy that that standard. In fact, sometimes it's it's much more powerful if it's not. And the thing that's so great about that story for me is that I bet this woman couldn't really articulate why, you know, why the change, that subtle, simple change was so important for her family. But here's the cool thing about beauty and more specifically about music. Sometimes it changes us both individually and collectively without us even realizing it. I feel like I'm just now for the first time in my life digging enough into psychology and philosophy to understand the power that beauty has and actually the power that counterfeit beauty has uh, on the brain and believe it or not on the soul, right? On the on the actual powers of the soul. So I think the the opportunity with with beauty is that it, it really doesn't need much of a defense. In, in other words, it's the one thing in our lives that leaves us speechless, that takes us back to that place of, of wonder and awe that hearkens to childhood. Uh, it's the thing that knows no enemy because it hasn't yet been completely hijacked by relativism. Say if it's been hijacked by anything, it's our culture of noise and distraction. So as soon as people enter into just a little bit of silence, even a little bit of solitude, they, they again, they find that beauty that their heart longs for. And, you know, it's a, it's a really mysterious word. It's kind of nebulous. What does beauty actually mean? And, you know, to throw it back to Plato, it's just things that elate the senses and delight the soul. Beauty is a foretaste of heaven, a little glimpse of glory. And it is, as we've said time and time again, important to lead with, not just with our media that we consume, but also with our lives. I've just never had any success, you know, thumping my catechism or, you know, uh, beating uh, with my Bible someone over the head that wasn't Catholic or that wasn't Christian. It's just never been successful for me. But when I find ways to captivate them first and explain later, then suddenly dialogue unfolds, friendship, accompaniment, and then often conversion. So what does this look like? How does Love Good enact this mission, this mission to allow beauty to be the guide for introducing the culture to the healing love of Christ. Uh, the boots on the ground uh, on any given day look like this. We, we curate Spotify playlists uh, very much with our love good standard in mind. So this, you know, idea that beauty uh, and truth and goodness are inseparable and that at the end of a song, at the end of an, of an album, you know, one day as we're hoping to curate you know, video platforms like Netflix and YouTube, um, what does it look like even at the end of a movie or a show for us to recognize whether or not we're, we're wanting the good, we're loving the good, or actually finding it not quite so attractive. So, so right, this, this love good standard is something we could unpack for days, but it practically plays itself out in our Spotify playlists and our, our weekly podcast where we sit down with different artists that we believe are living the love good standard and who are writing music and recording music and sharing it with the world that is very much true and good and beautiful. And then, you know, beyond the podcast and our Spotify playlist, we have a blog, uh, our kind of highest level of 
of offerings, you know, out there in the world or our seasonal packages to patrons. That's everything from, you know, signed albums and uh, exclusively published books um, all the way up to coffee that we curate and vinyls that we put out. Uh, even merchandise that you can't get anywhere else. The whole goal of Love Good Culture? Little pieces of sharing life together well, as Jimmy says. <laughs> That's what culture is meant to be. But it has to come to from the nitty-gritty, right? It has to engage with various platforms and genres. Because when it does this, and when it does it well, it gives us a glimpse of that perfect civilization of love, the foretaste of what is to come. There is something that I read by Father Consola Mesa. He wrote a book um, called Come Creator Spirit. And I'm struck by something that he said. He said that music is perhaps the, he said it in a funny way. Music is perhaps the least inadequate way to speak to God or about God. Hmm. And I think that even ties in with um, some of the, the church's documents on liturgy that say, I think it's a Sacra Sanctum Concilium that said, music, sacred song accomplishes something more than mere words can accomplish. Hmm. Wow. So there's, there's something mysterious. There's something beyond the mere, you know, the physics of sound waves traveling from one place, you know, or even in a particular pitch or, you know, sequence. There's something more than just the physical aspect of music. And so the church has recognized that for for centuries and it's beautiful. Peter Kreeft in one of his podcasts, I love him, and he said, music is perhaps the most powerfully impressive force in the world. Wow. Oh my goodness. And he goes, I mean, he's he's such a you know brilliant mind and he's talking about like histories and like, you know, the ancient Chinese and the ancient Greeks and just talking about like how influential how much more influential music is even than law and all these other things and just even my my spiritual reading over the years i'm just more and more convinced like god loves us he's in the midst of even all the deep the common small details of our lives and that music is is more than we than we reckon it is listeners this is part two when music heals the person so as I mentioned already, this whole episode began as I reflected on my own life and the role music has played time and time again when it came to my personal healing, whether it was emotional or spiritual. And as much as I didn't want to get too technical into this subject, <laughs> I figured if I was to tell an honest story, I should at least reach out to someone who knows a bit more than I do about the ways music can help heal the person in other words, I needed a music therapist. Hi, my name is Gabby Banzen, and I am a music therapist, singer-songwriter, worship musician, and podcaster currently living in Dallas, Texas. I found Gabby through the podcasting world and her podcast, Clinical Populations. It's an amazing podcast, <laughs> by the way. Each episode, Gabby and often a co-host walk through a popular song in both secular and religious music to discuss their use in mental and spiritual health. 
So when I thought about who to reach out to and speak to about the healing power of music for each individual person, Gabby seemed like the perfect person. Music has been a part of Gabby's life for as long as she can remember. Gabby learned the piano from a young age and eventually added saxophone and guitar to her repertoire. And of course, like many of us growing up in the 90s, (laughs) Gabby got into the indie pop punk scene and more importantly, eventually started to dive into music as a craft. In other words, she started to notice the songwriting aspect of some of her favorite artists and songs. And looking into the lyrics, I realized, hey, I think I can do this too. They're just talking about their lives. I can do that too. So I started songwriting and then that led me to want to be a rock star. And of course, while many musicians have that dream, central to the dream is also the realization that they have to make a living doing it. So as Gabby prepared for college, she began looking into programs in her home state of Georgia that would allow her to follow her passion of making music for a living. She chose Georgia College, where Gabby would not only study music therapy, but she also played in various bands and was active in her Catholic campus ministry. And Gabby loved what she was studying so much that she decided to make her way to Texas to get a master's degree and eventually put all that she was learning into action. I currently work as a program director for a nonprofit children's theater. So the theater as a whole um, gives kids opportunities to be parts of musicals and plays and learn basic like music and theater skills and things like that. But I run the special needs program. So I give those same opportunities, but to youth and adults with special needs. Frequently in Gabby's professional work, she sees the power of music to form connection and relationships. For example, Gabby works with special needs kids and young adults to put together musicals and plays in the community. And in order to make this work, she relies on the help from local volunteers, including other high schoolers in theater. They become their partners and help them throughout the whole rehearsal process. So even though they're coming in as volunteers, they end up forming relationships with these these kids and it becomes more of a friendship. And so these boundaries are broken and music helps transcend that and kind of breaks that duality of disability versus non-disabled. But Gabby's work isn't the only way she has put what she has learned about the therapeutic power of music. As I already mentioned, I found Gabby through our shared creative medium, podcasting. So I wanted to create a music therapy podcast. And so I was talking with a bunch of different music therapists about what I should do. And they're like, well, do something you're interested in and something that could also, you know, benefit people. So I'm really interested in songwriting. I'm really interested in music production. um, But I also really love the profession of music therapy. And songwriting and music production are important tools within music therapy and could definitely be used a lot more than it is now. And so I decided, you know, why not find something that combines it? Now, Gabby was inspired by two fellow podcasters when she went about creating her vision. Edmund Mitchell, who she credits for inspiring her to start, and Kevin Hyder, who we featured on our podcast as well, and who is frankly one of my favorite podcasters. (laughs) And Kevin's podcast, for those of you who aren't familiar, is called Song and Story. And it's a podcast which takes a single song and interviews the artist about the roots of creating that song. 
So Gabby thought, well, how about we do that, but we add a music therapy twist. So our, our tagline is introducing music therapists, new bops, and new bops to music therapy. So as music therapists, we kind of get stuck in a rut sometimes with the songs that we use because we know them and we know that we won't mess up on it and we know that like it works, so don't fix it. But um, that can lead you to not be creative and not explore the possibilities that, that could be really beneficial to your clients. So it was just a way for them to start listening to different types of music they might not be used to. And it's also a way for those songwriters and producers that we do feature to see how their music can impact people in a way other than just listening to their song at a concert or buying their CD. So in her podcast and in her professional work, Gabby addresses the different ways music can adapt and help each of us in our own individual situations. The cool thing about music is that it doesn't just heal one thing and it doesn't just work in one way. It's it's not really like a prescription that the doctor gives you. It's like, oh, you have this problem? Listen to this music and you'll be fine. <laughs> it doesn't really work like that. Um, so it's about taking a person's experiences with music and working with them to build a relationship in which these experiences can be expanded and adapted to promote healing or growth or insight or whatever else they need. Music can be experienced physically, spiritually, and emotionally. It touches on all different facets and aspects of our humanity. And it's transcendental in a sense. When we encounter things that are separate, it can connect them. Because humans, after all, need connection, right? Humans need empowerment, and all of those needs are met in music therapy. One of the ways music does this, of course, is by creating a bridge between ourselves and another, including, of course, God. So I had a friend that say, like, when he's in, in worship, music becomes like a mental bridge because, like, when you're in silence, it's easy to get stuck and give up. And when you have music, it gives you words and music to pray with and meditate with. So it, it engages you and it takes that wall in your head that says like, this is stupid. This is not real. The church is dumb, blah, 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 blah. And it builds a bridge to connect you and all your emotions and everything you're thinking um, to God or to the spirit. And it makes you connect to that. When you're connected with someone, it can be healing. When you have that conversation, whether it's singing, talking, raising your hands, it lets you go. In your own inner space, you can be open to whatever you need to do. And this process of healing is helpful when it seems like there is so much brokenness in our world and in our church. Listen to this story Gabby told me about an encounter she had with the power of music to provide that letting go, that small moment of relief in a broken and horrific situation. And so before every rehearsal for Mass, I try to listen to the songs like on Spotify just to get like, you know, myself prepared and remember all the lyrics. And so I was like seeing Treble and Tremble over again um, the week of that mass. Um, but that same week that Tremble was scheduled, it was also the same week that the scandals broke out, like the news about the scandals. And so I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like this is horrible. Like what? Like, um, but I mean, the song is beautiful because it says like, 
Jesus, you you make the darkness tremble, you silence fear. Um, and then it's in the beginning of the song, it says like, peace, bring it all to peace and calm the rage in me. And so the priest that was leading the mass actually had never heard that song before. And so, but in the homily, I mean, everything he was saying was completely relating to the song. And like, he had like no idea that I was about to play the song. And, um, so this was communion and I start playing it and, at the end of communion, he usually goes and kneels in front of the altar and starts like worshiping as well, like with all of us. But at this moment, like it was different, like because he, everyone was feeling so much emotion and so much like confusion and heard about everything and his posture was different. And then um, my worship team, which was actually um, a net team, they were just like, they were also, you know, they work for the church. So they were like hurt and confused. And so they were singing, you know, their little hearts out and they <laughs> were playing like there was no tomorrow. And it just was this really intense moment of prayer where everyone was just letting, letting everything go and just like having this like cathartic moment of like, yeah, this sucks. There's a storm going on. Like, but I mean, God, you're here. Like, are you going to bring it to peace? And so like the entire parish is just like singing this, this chorus and this bridge over and over again. And then finally, I feel like it, it needs to settle a little bit. So we start like getting quieter and quieter. And I end up just, you know, singing with just the piano and the band. And we sing the first two verses about just wanting peace. Um, and then the priest like gets up and slowly walks to, you know, where he's supposed to sit. And we just like finish and we sit in silence for good, like two or three minutes. And it was like intense and it was a beautiful moment of prayer because the prayer that it came from was authentic and so i i think that songs that come from an authentic place of prayer lend themselves to deeper spiritual experiences for yourself but also for the people around you church has spoken about some of the the power of music in collective worship and it's interesting to see like this this notion of unity and diversity like th that the liturgy is drawing all nations to Christ you know this diverse gathering of people who are so different come together and yet in all of our different experiences of life and different opinions and all the perspectives and like we all all of us see God differently in a particular way but that in the liturgy we can all come together as different people hundreds of people and yet pray with one voice that there's something spiritual about that that we are able to as you said raise our voices and offer this you know we're, we're all standing as a congregation directing our praise in the same direction as it were through jesus to god the father in the holy spirit and that's something that's that's powerful it's it's a very real sign of unity among believers and this is part three, listeners, when music heals the church. So when I hear Gabby's story, her story about a collective moment in liturgy, when music seemed to unite all peoples in grief and hope, priest and lay people alike all wrapped up into one, I thought about the many times I've seen that very thing myself. For example, I remember very, very vividly 
after 9-11, singing in church together and sobbing as a community the song, Let There Be Peace on Earth. It was so powerful for me as a 16-year-old, right? But it was mainly powerful because all of us were united in prayer through that song. It felt as if we were collectively releasing all of our fears and sorrows over what had happened. And music took those emotions and raised them to God for us on our behalf. And so I decided to do some research (laughs) and looked to try to find others in the church who saw their mission of unifying the body through the power of music. And I think I found some amazing people to speak to that, but specifically this gal. Andrea Thomas, I am co-founder, co-director, and musician with The Vigil Project. Yes, The Vigil Project, a collective group of musicians who create original music, videos, and even tour in the hopes of drawing people deep into the heart of Christ through the power of music. I will get to the project in a minute, (laughs) but the story begins with Andrea herself. Andrea grew up in Cincinnati and has loved music from a very young age. She was very involved in the arts, but decided to pursue her love of music by attending Belmont University as a major in their music program. But toward the end of her first semester, as she was studying for finals, a chance encounter happened, which would go on to change the rest of her life. Hadn't slept, pull an all-nighter, and one of the girls that I was studying with, she's like, I cannot fall asleep. Like, I can't fall asleep, so we need to figure out a way to stay awake from 6 to 8 o'clock in the morning so I don't miss my final. And I just remembered someone told me at one point in life, like, if caffeine's not doing it, oxygen will. So I was like, okay, if we go to the gym, you know, maybe we'll stay awake. So anyway, we go to the gym. It's like 6 a.m. No one's there um, except for these two crazy girls that pulled an all-nighter. And I saw this sign that said VeggieTales Auditions. And I was like, VeggieTales Auditions? Like, what is that about? Um, And I'm from one of nine kids. So I definitely knew VeggieTales. I just didn't know what they were auditioning for and um I auditioned on a whim and it turned out it was their live stage show um and it was the following spring so this audition happened in fall of 2005 my freshman year and then they were casting for a hundred show tour the following spring truly to this day I believe that I got a call back and ultimately the role because I was deliriously not rested and was just doing the craziest things had the boldest song choices like it was literally from a movie they're taking down the sign I stumble in like barely making it and I'm like would you guys see one more they're like okay honey come on over you know and they ended up casting me as the lead role in this 100-show VeggieTales Rockin' Tour Live 2006. Now, I've talked to a lot of amazing people this season, but I definitely didn't expect to speak to someone who had a lead on a VeggieTales tour. <laughs> I love that story. I think it's wonderful. She was the human best friend in the show, by the way. Any parent, I'm sure, knows exactly what I'm talking about. And for Andrea, the greatest gift about the experience was that it showed her what life would look like, right? The life of traveling on the road, performing in front of crowds. And through that experience, she came to a realization. And um, I'll never forget the day. Uh, It was April 7th, 2006. It was one of our very rare off days. And it was in Atlanta, Georgia. And I remember sitting on this rock. It was the randomest little rock in this park we, we stopped at for a minute. And I just needed a breather because my only personal space was like a seven foot by two foot bunk on a bus for three and a half months. And I was like, I just need like a second by myself. I just took a minute to pray. 
And I will just never forget when the Lord just, it, it's only happened to me a handful of times in my life. If you've ever had this happen to you, you know how it's like, you cannot explain. You just know when you're supposed to do something. And I knew that God was calling me away from entertainment. He was calling me away from Nashville. He was calling me away from what I really wanted at the moment for something ultimately better that was coming that I didn't know was an even deeper desire of what he was calling me to in my life, which he would reveal to me later. So Andrea decided to leave Belmont, leave her original dreams behind and go to the University of Steubenville. There, she majored in business, music, and theology, all of which she uses today, which is really wonderful. And after college, she moved to New Orleans, where she was introduced by friends to Greg and Lizzie Boudreaux, a married couple living just outside of New Orleans who also happened to be musicians and songwriters. And through their time together, Andrea made a passing comment about possibly working on a project someday. But in December of 2015, as Andrea was watching one of my favorite musical acts, Pentatonics, on YouTube, one of their really popular Christmas videos, by the way, she had an idea. It was a what-if question that sparked the vigil project, and I just feel like the Holy Spirit sparked the idea and breathed life into it. But I just remember texting Lizzie, and I just said, I just was watching this video. I can't believe, like, all these views. This is just such an interesting format they have here of the way they're doing it is a little different than a music video. Like what if we captured some of the things that are captivating people within these videos, that's obviously resonating with viewers. And what instead, what if we, what if we wrote fresh music for the upcoming season of Len and Easter, if we wrote a fresh album, if we collaborated in that capacity. And then what if we released them, like filmed them and audio, like live recorded them and then release them song by song. And instead of making it a performance, what if we just prayed? Like, what if we just worshiped and we just captured it and released it song by song? And that what if question was the catalyst. And Lizzie, of course, shared with her husband, Greg. Greg was really like, he was a beast at getting the team together. I cannot believe how that all came together. It was such a Holy Spirit thing. And within five weeks time, we had seven songs ready to go for Lennon Easter and a team of 19 people on the ground to film our first, our first album. And that, that was the start of our project. Before she knew it, the group had put together a series for Lent, which you can see on their YouTube page, by the way. Within 30 days, the song had been viewed in over 100 countries. And for Andrea, Greg, and Lizzie, and the others involved, this popularity was a relief. <laughs> because as she noticed, as I'm sure many of us have noticed, many times people go searching for healing out side of the church, right? And Andrea thought, what if music could be a gateway for people to find their healing again under the arms of their mother, the church? I think within the Catholic church in large part, and I'm one of these people. So I, I stand here as, as one of them. And I think that's probably what's fueled my passion to continue our work is that I found myself going outside of the Catholic church to find really fresh new music that resonated with me that I could bring into my prayer, I found that I was actually having to go outside of Catholic music to find what I was looking for and find music that I, that I really loved and that I wanted to pray with and could pray with and all those things. Um, and something about that is just not as it should be, I think. And for the Vigil Project, this means not being afraid to be authentically Catholic. In other words, true healing is found not when we try to promote who we are not, 
that, but when we stand proudly by who we are, when we let the sacraments first and foremost be the avenue to healing and music is simply an important background element. You know, I see the temptation to shy away from Catholic identity, but actually like in these four years, we've doubled down because we realized, you know what, like we, we're craving something. We desire to enter more deeply into these various seasons of the church, the ebb and flow of our life as a Catholic person, a Catholic young person or whatever. Um, I bet we're not alone in that. And we shouldn't shy away from that. And that's ultimately the heart we're writing with. And so what if we delved deeper into it instead of trying to kind of like create, um, you know, Christian music, so to speak, what if we created yes, Christian music? And what if we what if we decided to make music for the Catholic journey and we could make music for Catholic devotional prayer that we would go looking for? And so that's really become what, what we do. After the first album was released in 2016, people started reaching out to see if they would be interested in a couple things. <laughs> in one, doing an album for Advent and Christmas. <laughs> and for two, bringing their songs to other communities. So Vigil Project took their music on the road, doing tours in liturgical seasons and having as their primary purpose, serving the needs of each individual parish. Our kind of target community has always been and continues to be the parish because that's really the heartbeat of the church. That's really where like daily life as a Catholic happens is at the parish level. It has been, you know, especially in a time I don't think anybody can argue that we're living through a very difficult and painful season in our history as, as a church. And we are suffering. And in that suffering, in that pain, in that sort of unknown difficulty that we can't yet in some ways see the solution to and hasn't resolved itself within the tension there, having been boots on the ground these past seven tours or whatever, and as we continue to travel my heart is filled with so much hope because like I'm looking at the eyeballs of people at the parish level that I just think to myself, even in the difficulty, even in the sorrow and the pain and the dysfunction that we're working through as a church, God is bringing so much beauty and healing. And, and I, I find tremendous amount of hope just rising from within the church, even during this time of difficulty. Andrea and the gang from The Vigil Project have seen firsthand the power of music to unite a collective, a body, the body, right? The body of the church. They have witnessed in their live tours and in their increased popularity online how much the church is longing to feel unified again, both with each other and with God, right? And as Andrea told me, she's not surprised by this. This, of course, is just how beauty operates. You know, I find that God is using beauty in such a unique way, whether it's music or visual art or poetry, literature, um, even lettering. I've seen some beauty, like so much beauty and it's reaching people's hearts and souls right now in a, in, a, in a different way than maybe doctrine can. You know, it's, it's reaching a different place. And it's, it, I think it's bringing to life and almost reminding us of not only who, who we are before God, but ultimately who God is. And God is healer and he makes all things, he brings everything to the good, you know, and brings us, um, brings us to where he wants us to go. And ultimately he is God and we are not. A few months ago, 
someone very important to me passed away. My undergraduate mentor, Dr. Sue Gulliver, died unexpectedly for me. I wasn't aware of how sick she was. She was an incredibly faithful and funny and brilliant woman and friend. She was always reaching out to check in and was incredibly honest in her day-to-day struggles and sacrifices. She was one of the most beautiful people I've ever known in my life. And she would do this thing too, this thing that I loved. (laughs) Back in college, goodness, over a decade now, she would sign all of her emails with this quote from the mystic Julian of Norwich. All shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. When she passed away a few months ago, right in the middle of this season on beauty, I thought about that quote a lot, and I felt a lot of peace for her, knowing that for now, things really were well. (laughs) And I made a promise, a promise just for me at the time, that this season, the rest of this season, would be for her. My friend Sean didn't know any of this. (laughs) When I reached out to him to chat for this episode, I also asked him if I could use one of his songs, any song that he chose, for this closing episode on beauty. When I reached out, he didn't know about this story, about my mentor, about Julian of Norwich, about how this quote has been guiding me through some of the most intense moments of healing I'd ever gone through this past decade. He didn't know, of course, but God did. God knew that in this final episode on beauty, an episode dedicated to how beauty can draw us deeper into healing through Christ's love, he knew the exact song our listeners would need to hear. The exact song I would need to hear. times when the world seems like it should when all is bright and full and beautiful at other times the shadows gather around on every side I'm assailed by fear and doubt and I am falling Falling apart I say I'm well But you might be surprised By the tortured soul That here down deep resides When I'm overcome By insecurity By comparison how I'm measuring and I am falling falling apart but all shall be well and all shall be Cast is the view before my eyes 
darkened soul that reflects these darkened skies And I'm left standing between hope and despair With this broken heart that seems beyond repair And I am falling, falling This was our final episode for our season, all of it dedicated to beauty. Normally, I would say thank yous to the credits, (laughs) but before that wonderful exit music begins, I wanted to quickly say a few things. First, as I am recording this today, it has been exactly one year since the launch of this podcast, Mystery Through Manners. 
we launched on the Feast of St. Therese, October 1st of 2018. And it has been one of the most enriching and beautiful experiences of my life and of my family's lives. And I'm just so grateful for all of you being on that journey with us. Because as you can imagine, it takes a lot out of me <laughs> as a mom and a wife to put these episodes together. It is all me, by the way. I do I do all the editing. Um, I am taking a little bit of a longer hiatus than usual to dedicate some time to family as we approach the holidays. The hope is to relaunch with the third season next spring, and it is going to be very, very good. <laughs> I've already begun my research, and I'm really, really, really excited about it. But the other reason I need that hiatus is actually because of a new project coming together, which will be released this coming advent. Oh my goodness. I don't want to give too much of it away, but it is a collaboration with many incredible writers, poets, songwriters, just amazing storytellers to journey with you daily through Advent. If you want more information about that, and it is going to be incredibly special, please follow me at Mystery Manners Podcast on Instagram and Facebook to get all of the up-to-date info about the new podcast and the launch date. And finally, a heartfelt thank you to my amazing, amazing family, especially my husband, who is my biggest fan and supporter. Without him, I would have never followed this little dream of mine. So thanks, honey. I love you. And thank you all so much for listening to this wonderful season. Thank you to Sean, Jimmy, Gabby, and Andrea, and the folks at The Vigil Project for coming together for today's episode, as well as Elaine for her support with Annunciation Designs. Please visit my website and episode notes for information about all of their ministries, businesses, and organizations. I am so incredibly humbled and grateful for all of you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) My goodness, God bless you listeners, and I will see you in the next one.